Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Neil Clawson. He is the regional CISO for Mimecast. Neil, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So as I do with all my guests, I think it's important to get a little bit of background. You're in healthcare, but actually that's not your um, original area of focus. Um, You know, you came at this slightly differently. Uh, Tell us how you got to this point in your career. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been a, a lifelong IT and security practitioner going way back to my days with my, uh, my my computers and dial-up and, you know, looking being a hacker when that wasn't necessarily a bad term, right? Figuring stuff out, that's what I think. Uh, Wait, hackers are, is a bad term? I didn't know that. I'm, I'm one of those. Right, exactly, <laughs> right? It's a, it means somebody who likes figuring stuff out and, um, and then applying exactly. So, um, so again, uh, just uh, through that uh, journey, that squiggly career, they call it, uh, working on desktop and IT and help desk for a variety of organizations, including hospitals and healthcare, um, but always having that security focus and how do I uh, prevent those risks uh, from occurring? How do I make things better and prevent bad things from happening happening to good companies? Yeah, so security is uh, a recurrent theme on this show and certainly with some of the guests that I've had. And, uh, you know, people that know me know that it's, it's definitely an area of focus. So I, I'm I'm always excited to get new perspectives, and I, I'm curious to know as you look at the the landscape. And I, I'll give you my perspective first, but it, it seems like this is a nuclear arms race with the hackers, and in this version, I'm using them as you know a, a bad term, who are essentially attacking, and it's actually a business at this point in some instances attacking and healthcare has for a long time now the largest one of the largest targets on its back how do we cope with this i mean this seems like a um i don't want to say never-ending problem but certainly one that you know we struggle with and we've we've had challenges exactly i think um it's partially this is where the, the, the money is right it's there's an underground economy it's not just the the kid in their mom's basement like it used to be right it's uh, the whole ecosystem of uh, the bad guys uh, facing off versus the good guys. So um, I think it's a matter of uh, applying and and learning from different um, different fields and applying those techniques that help us uh, implement that defense in depth strategy, that good, better, best. Those things that um, help you quantify risk and raise um, cybersecurity risk from being just purely technical to that financial aspect. It's impacting companies' ability to, to generate revenue, to service patients, to deliver the outcomes that they've promised, um, and quantify that in a way that raises it to senior leadership so that um, we can be aligned and have those uh, those mutually understood and drive the funding, drive the changes, drive the difficult conversations that maybe haven't been happening in the past to kind of get over that hump of the the bad guys winning um, and us having to get it right every time and then just having to get it right once, that old cliche. Yeah, so, and you bring up an interesting point when you talk about, you know, it's where the money is. To be clear, it's not, so, I mean, there is with certainly some of the attacks are focus on, you know, extricating funds with ransomware. 
But there's a whole other side, you know, when we talk about where the money is, is the data that's being exfiltrated that has high value because it has it's it's very rich in terms of the content. So you have these organizations and they have uh, they even have HR functions and, uh, you know, pay out the whole thing. It's really quite extraordinary that is essentially looking at this and going after sort of uh, different groups. If you were sitting in a hospital, what do you worry most about and, and how do you sort of cope with that? Yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's another cliche, which is it's not what you don't know that'll hurt you. It's what you do know with absolute certainty that just isn't so, right? And I think it's, uh, have I implemented those those core functionalities, that good, better, best, and um, and where are my areas? As a CISO, I always say, where are my areas of unmitigated risk? And how quickly can I get to what I call the mean time to conviction, where I can quantify, yes, that risk is real and there's something that needs to be done about it, or the mean time to innocence, which is, yeah, this is within our risk appetite. This is something that I don't need to take further action on. All right. And that's, I think, in the end, um, it, it's it, every company is going to be different, but it's how well do you have your finger on the pulse of your various risk scenarios? Um, and have you followed the, again, we call it the NIST CSF, that have you identified your assets in those key systems? Have you properly protected? Have you detected when those protections fail? How quickly can you respond? And uh, how effective are your recovery techniques? And, and uh, the wrap around all that is, are you learning from this? And it's that continuous cycle, just like if you're a doctor, right? Like if a new, uh, like when COVID came, like how, how do we identify it? How do we, what are those defense in-depth strategy and what is the risk appetite? What are the, uh, the different levers we can pull? Can I reduce my attack surface? Can I maximize my controls? And, and again, overall, can I quantify where those areas are? Because security is, is a part of a much bigger picture, right? As technologists, we love turning those nerd knobs. We love, uh, you know, building our firewalls and networks and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, it's to serve a business purpose, right? So every security strategy is really comprised of your threat vectors that might be generic or might be unique to you, as well as the business drivers. And I think a lot of folks forget about having that your foot really in that other camp. We serve at the pleasure of the president, to, to use a Colin Powell analogy, right? Um, so that's what I would focus on is is where how, how do we how do we address these issues? It's by first uh, getting your finger on the pulse and understanding where your controls are acceptable and where you have uh, unmitigated risk. Yeah, I, I I gotta say I like the analogy with COVID nineteen, although you know there's there's certainly some tiredness associated with the term and people frustrated, but I think it resonates in part because people can really link that and see the analogy. And, you know, as I'm thinking that through, I think about, you know, understand the risk. So that's identify, in this case, the virus and, you know, what to do. And then we had mitigation, we had masking, we had distancing. Those are all sort of, you know, those analogies actually stretch into the healthcare setting. And then obviously, I, I think importantly, and this is where I, I, I'd like to get your thoughts one of the challenges with that COVID mitigation strategy was, well, we knew a lot of this. So we knew that masks work. I, I'm, I'm probably going to be in trouble and I'll get the flood of people telling me that they don't. But they do. We, we, it's, it's clear. The science is clear to, to, to that particular point. But knowing that and actually implementing it proved to be quite difficult in some cases because there was resistance. And that brings me to the point in security. I, I think of 
Anne, and I forget her last name in the TV show, you are the weakest link. And, and that's the case in healthcare. And that's everybody in your population. How do you focus in on that and start to sort of resolve that under the model that you described? Meaning, how do you, how do you how do you get those weakest links? To, yeah, um, um, so we do some some things called like one's called red team thinking, which is we look at uh, you do tabletop exercises, pre mortem and post mortem. You look at those failure scenarios and what are the most likely failure scenarios that can impact me. We use some techniques where um, giving people psychological safety, so that in that system of systems that you're trying to build. Those gaps and those areas, um, which somebody might not be willing to share publicly, through mm -hmm. some some just anonymous web tools where you, folks can share with those uh, different uh, value chain failures or things that might break along that process. So if you can consult with your team and, and the people who are most affected by that change, right? we talk about change management um, and the. Uh, People who are most affected by that change should be helping with the diagnosis of the problem and coming up with a solution because then you're most likely when you unfreeze that behavior to change it and, and refreeze it to where you want to go. Um, so uh, so I think so running tabletop exercises with some psychological safety, with getting those key stakeholders and expanding that beyond just the technical group to your legal, to your PR, to the folks, uh, to the business side, which are going to have to deal with the blowout if that if that control uh, and that threat scenario is, is realized. Um, and doing that in a way that um, is actionable, right? And it's all about uh, getting those that shared consensus and getting the uh, people, process, and technology working together. And again, with that, I'm a big fan of that devil's advocate red team thinking concept, where it's big, that group think, the things that cause the, the shuttle uh, challenger explosion, and the things that, um, again, that you that you are sure of, but really aren't that that accurate. Oh yeah, our backups are great. Well, are they really? And what are the things that could lead to that? Are, our controls are great. Um, so yeah, that's a it's a it's it's a lot. There's a lot of methodologies that this is where as cybersecurity experts and you know we can learn a lot from the healthcare side for how they do their things and vice versa. I think. I, I I think great points, but just for the benefit of the audience, I think it's important to explain red team, blue team. You know, can you just clarify what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, so the blue team are typically the defenders, right? The people who are uh, putting up the castles and the guns and the guards and the gates and trying to uh, detect and respond. And the red team folks are the ones who are uh, either the actual aggressors trying to break in or typically the ones that you're paying to, to figure out your flaws before they do that. Uh, red team thinking is, is kind of a, a perspective of looking at it with that devil's advocate mindset for, okay, flip it, right? And so you, you might be blue team, you might be thinking things are great, but what could go wrong? Right. And because that's usually where you have that one person that says, yeah, this really isn't going to this. This is this is an actual risk or it's that longer tail of threats that could not occur. And the other thing that you brought up that I think is really important here is that um, I, I'm going to it wasn't the term you used, but that's what I got from it was essentially a no blame uh, approach to well, identification well. of problems. I, I've certainly seen punitive you know, even if not deliberate, deliberately punitive arrangements where people are, are essentially punished, even if it's not, you know, punishments in, in the traditional sense, it can be punishment in terms of time, effort, resources that you end up being sort of uh, involved. How, how do you create, you know, essentially a, a no fault, no blame approach to this because that's the way that I think you get the the maximum value for the red team thinking from the people that potentially see those gaps but you know maybe don't want to reveal or or share them 
Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, culture starts at the top, but I think again, some internet tools, a lean coffee table is one of them. But where folks that are again participating in this can log in, they're anonymous, and they do little mini sticky notes um, anonymously, and then that raises those issues, and then you can aggregate them, and then do group level, still anonymous dot vote ranking on what are you, what do we think these uh, things are. So it's it's about that process of uh, of continual improvement. It's about that process of. Um, Again, psychological safety and using some some tools in a way that help you um, surface those ways, surface that, and then um, having leadership. Right, it's all about um, about that. Uh, another methodology I'm a big fan of is the grow methodology. Like, what are our goals? What's the reality? What are our options? And what's the way forward? So, by getting everybody focused on what the goals are, and then kind of talking about the pros and cons and and the and the real true reality of it, um, you can then really start talking about options. And I always say the first option is do nothing. Because a lot of time people are like, no, no, we can't do nothing. Aha, I got you, right? Like now you're you're part of the team and you're we're, we're working on those other options. But by kind of putting out nothing as an option, people are kind of usually forced to it. So so if we had a breach, um, uh, we're going to have to use our cyber insurance. We don't have enough coverage. We're going to impact patient outcomes. Or, you know, we don't want to, our goal is to make sure all our medical devices are, are fully patched and up to date. Well, yeah, the reality is that means Sometimes getting FDA reapproval, there's all that legislation coming through to good because there's that that challenge and that back and forth. But I think by surfacing these up from what are our common goals and doing that in a way that there's that psychological safety and um, really kind of all of us focusing on the outcomes. It's about us together versus the bad guys, not uh, not us versus each other. And how do you you're right? How do you build that out? I think it's by having good leadership and good methodology. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Neil Clawson. He is the regional CISO for Mimecast. We were just talking about the major challenge of getting people to sort of come together. And, you know, I like that. The, the One of the options is to do nothing that, you know, creates almost a sense of uh, camaraderie in a group that, you know, realizes that that's not acceptable, but you actually present it. I think that's kind of an interesting sort of approach to this. Um, you've obviously got lots of experience in this space. Tell us a little bit about where you see the, the biggest challenge. You know, it, as you think about the threat landscape for a typical hospital, and I know that's a little bit unfair because they're all different and so forth, but there must be some you know, key pointer areas that people can start with in terms of, you know, and obviously I'm I'm an incrementalist. So, you know, if I could fix just one thing, what would it be? Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, again, I'll go back to that good, better, best methodology. So the analogy is if, you know, you had a uh, an open wound, would you really uh, just walk around or go to the London or, or New York subway system without doing it? So so focus on the, like the triage, the hospital ER triage and that cyber risk quantification concept uh, is probably one that I would focus on. Uh, there's there's tools to be able to uh, continually scan and monitor your attack surface area, right? And so uh, by focusing on that low hanging fruit and being able to quantify it, you, applying the most critical uh, uh, fixes to the most critical systems in the most critical manner, I would say, right? That so triaging it and having those experts as well as um, you can't do it all yourself. So there's a there's another methodology called Wardley mapping, which is your value chains. And what are the things that I have to do internally? And what are the things that I'm better served by leveraging somebody that's an expert at it? Again, penetration testing, something that, you know, that kind of thing, or continual attack surface monitoring. So there's a lot of, as we've evolved in the security space, evolved some methodologies to leverage third parties more effectively because staffing is so difficult. To, uh, you know, the, the, the threat vectors change so frequently. 
Um, so continuous attack surface monitoring using um, a, a person behind that vulnerability scanning, baselining against that, this thing called the uh, EPSS, which is the uh, exploit prediction scoring system. You can't patch everything all the time. It's just it's just inconceivable. So what are the ones that are actually being exploited in the wild? What are the viruses that are actually being you know, out there uh, from a medical perspective? Uh, and then, um, again, applying that surgical precision to it so that you are reducing your attack surface. So I think there's the two levers you have is after you quantify your risk in a, in a more quantified manner, um, reducing your attack surface as much as possible, maximizing your controls as much as possible, getting that ecosystem, all those best of breed tools that you've purchased should start cross-pollinating threat intelligence, should start giving you and raising that actual information because of a limited time frame and um and getting the uh the most likely vectors addressed first so again i think internet facing ones a lot we i talk a lot about cyber insurance now right because of the financial aspect and those insurance firms are looking at your internet credit score it's called so security scorecard bit site where they're they are there are companies that are monitoring your externally facing footprints and then giving you a score a b c d on how well you are your digital hygiene is and your insurance premiums are being set based off in part by what that internet facing score is. So it behooves you to do your best to uh, address those uh, findings, um, find out where there's false positives. No, I don't even own that IP subnet space anymore. Um, so that is, I think, um, it's part of that overall uh, lather, rinse, repeat that is, you know, security is a process, not a um, not a one time thing. I, I'm 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 sure that. You know, a large number of folks are probably already, you know, looking at that score. It sounds very much like quality scoring on physicians, um, you, you know, satisfaction scoring. But for those that, you know, maybe heard that and said, wait, what? There's a score on me? Where do they go? How do they find that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a security scorecard is one. There's BitSight. There's a risk recon, which was recently focused by um, MasterCard. So, there are, it's this, these firms have been in business for a long time. They've been evolving. Um, it's just, and it's, it's a way, for example, for your third parties or your customers, right? So if they don't have the capability to do a deep dive assessment on whether they trust you, uh, mm -hmm. or if you're providing you know, part of patient care data or, or processing their data, um, it's a way to kind of get that neutral third party, the Kelly Blue Book from an American um, car perspective, right? Uh, the Kelly Blue Book value of, Again, are, where where do they fall, and is that where do they fall within my risk appetite? Right, is it be okay? Well, it depends. What type of uh, we always talk about doing vendor risk assessments and application risk assessments, right? What how how trustworthy uh, is that vendor? Are they tall enough to ride the ride from a roller coaster perspective? And then how trustworthy? Uh, what types of data am I storing, right? And where is that data? And that obviously goes back to the any of that identifying where you have your sensitive data and what risks you have for it, right? Right, and and I think you know helpful for those folks that are not. I, I clearly there's you know a, a cadre of people that are spending their time, and especially if they have the fortune of having a CISO that's you know in place. Not all do, okay. um, you know, and I think that's one of the challenges around this that you know it's maybe uh, subordinated to somebody that you know is is potentially learning this as they go. So I think this is very helpful. You know, one other thing I want to pick up, you talked about the sort of risk assessment, and I like that, you know, incremental approach of, you know, find the areas to focus on and, you know, with surgical precision. But one of the challenges I've seen, and I'm curious to know how you approach 
elevating this, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll be very specific. I spent a long time in the voice industry, and we had dictaphones, as they were called. I don't think you even hear that term now, but people digitally, they used to pick up the phone, and then it was, you know, a digital dictation system. And that digital dictation system was never seen as a critical resource right up until the point that it failed. And it wasn't an attack, it just failed. And then suddenly everybody realized that this was like probably one of the most highest priority because suddenly they were flooded with physician calls. How do you elevate those things before you actually reach the failure? What's the process to go about that? I love it. Um, and I think uh, I'm a fan of, um, of, of engaging with your key stakeholders. Um, with and asking them, uh, so again, so even if you're at the lowest level of the org and you're struggling getting funding, talking is as high as you can say. On a scale of one to five, uh, CFO, financial officer, is losing a million dollars a five or a one, right? And getting that baseline. And say, chief marketing officer is losing a thousand customers or a million customers, right? And so when you start to get those, I always say, if you can't beat them, join them and then beat them, right? So, so getting and being able to baseline that and then taking out. Uh, so industry examples of, hey, this just happened to our competitor. And CMO, you said if this happened, this is a five for us, right? And so, again, our goal is to not be like our competitors. I don't want to be a five as well. Um, and can what can we do? What what are our options to, 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 to address this? And doing that in a way to say, do I have a, like a blueprint, right? Do I have an ongoing capability and capacity? to deal with those threats and to bring them back down to the risk appetite. Security folks typically want to do get everything down to zero. And the business has to look at that as a way to uh, say, no, you know, this is what, so define that risk appetite. And again, good good enough might just be on a scale of one to five. Better right. that fair analysis where you're really putting some math and statistics behind it. For, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And then beat him. That I got to say, that reminds me a little bit of uh, Caesar and Brutus. I'm just saying, you know, you've got to get behind somebody before. But I think you're not actually going quite that far. You're getting to the point of understanding and then creating the barriers or the focus that essentially appropriately attacks, um, you know, those I, challenges. Yeah, not beat them in a, in a, a negative way, but beat them right. in a, yeah, right. In, in a uh, speaking again, I guess speaking their own language, everybody needs to be able to understand their their peers and what their peers' uh, right. focus and challenges are and, uh, and be able to kind of communicate on their level. Excellent. Um, so I, as as you think about the future, um, as I said at the beginning, you know, it feels a little bit like a nuclear arms race. I mean, obviously, we're applying technology to help us uh, prevent attacks. But I, I also know that the threat actors are also doing that. They're using machine learning. How how do you think about the future and where it's going? Uh, I'm positive because I feel like I was just at a CISO event uh, yesterday in Boston. And um, again, the methodologies and the ways we're able to quantify risk, reduce our attack surface, uh, maximize our controls. And as vendors are realizing that uh, it's not it's not just one solution, right? It's it's a it's a it's the, that system of systems and being able to identify that value chain. I feel positive um, because we as a community are starting to mature our understanding, our ability to communicate that risk and ability to elevate that to the business level, right? And where we're getting the funding and getting the attention and getting the um, the, the the initiatives and the buy-in uh, at that, that top level. So I feel confident. I feel like, again, the, uh, the, the, the vendors are realizing this as well. And 
including Mindcast, building products that really help mitigate that risk uh, from a variety of perspectives. So essentially, good news. We we have a positive sort of uh, perspective on the continued challenge. I mean, let's be frank, this is an ongoing problem. I think people um, increasingly are not only exposed in a business stand, standpoint, but also at a personal standpoint. I think anybody that knows me knows I've certainly had my own uh, sort of challenges with uh, security attacks uh, that, you know, fortunately I've managed to mitigate. It sounds like there's been a shift in thinking and we're at a point of, you, you know, a, a better, clearer focus from the top of an organization. And, you know, that really helps drive it and then bringing everybody along uh, for the ride. Unfortunately, as we do each and every week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to uh, thank you, uh, Neil, for joining me on the show. Neil, thanks for joining me. I, I sincerely appreciate the time and, uh, and thanks to all the audience as well. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at Dr. Nick One on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 